The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Life in Exile, a study of the book of 1 Peter. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. Um, we're going verse by verse through the book of 1 Peter. And so... Um, that's where we're at today. We are in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, only two verses. But let me just say, this is two of the most pregnant verses in all of the New Testament. One scholar said, each phrase in this text is pregnant with quadruplets. Okay, I could spend all day talking about one phrase. I'm not going to. I'm going to cover all, both, both verses this morning. And pray that the Lord gets us through this. But I think it's very important for us this morning. Uh, one of the most important texts in all of Peter, I believe. Okay? Now listen, um, I was reading this week, and according to the Gordon-Conwell Center for the Study of Global Christianity, listen to this, one out of five non-Christians in North America doesn't know any other Christians, doesn't know any Christians. The statistic says that 20% of North America doesn't even know a Christian. Now, why does that concern? And why should that concern us? It should concern us because most people come to faith through a relationship with a believer. Either a family member or a friend that shares the gospel with them, invites them into some form of community or invites them into a gathering like this where they hear the gospel and when they hear the gospel, God does the work, of course, and saves them. But that's the primary way people come to know Jesus Christ is through a relationship. But listen to this, one in five, and I doubt it's that high in our city yet, but it's getting there. It's getting close. One in five in our country, they don't even have a person in their life that knows Jesus Christ. Now, that should break your heart. That breaks my heart. That shows us that we at Sacred City have a lot of work to do. It's my prayer that every single person in our city has a relationship with a Christian. I don't think everyone in our city is going to become a Christian. But I think it's not unreachable that every person in our city could know a Christian and know, what, know who Christ is and know what Christ teaches and it could experience the grace of God that changes human relationships and, and our relationships our relationship with God. But that's only going to happen, listen, that's only going to happen if Christians understand who they are in Christ. And Peter has been teaching us that a Christian is not a person that was born in America, okay? That a Christian is not a person who had Christian parents, Okay? A Christian is not a person who signed a card one time. A Christian is not a person who walked down an aisle one time. A Christian is a person who has been born again from God. That God has moved on this person, changed them on the inside, and caused them to become now a lover of God. They've been born again. 
And they're born into this new family, the family of God, which is the church. And what happens when you get born again, when you were born the first time, you received an identity from your parents. You received your ethnicity from your parents. You received your socioeconomic background from your parents. You received your culture from your parents. You received your neighborhood from your parents, right? More than likely, if you're a Ford truck man, your parents might have been a Ford truck man, right? You just, we, we get, if you're a NASCAR fan, I'm sorry, but more than likely, your parents were NASCAR fans, right? If you're an Alabama football fan, you got that from Jesus, uh, <laughs> from, your fa- uh, from your parents, right? From your parents, okay? Now listen, when you're born again, when you're born again, you get a new identity, a new identity from God as your father. It comes to us through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, and we get this new identity. That means, listen, you will never Live the way that God has called you to live until you realize who you are in Christ, okay? We say around here that identity precedes behavior or precedes obedience. Now listen, there's there's a show or a book, Harry Potter, and it's one of my favorites actually, and and the, the books are phenomenal. And in this book, this kid he doesn't know who he is. He, he, he's, he's adopted. He never knew his parents. Doesn't know anything about his parents. And what he doesn't know is he's the chosen one, right? He doesn't know that he's got this inherent magical ability. And so sometimes he just accidentally does magic and he doesn't really know what happened. He can't really explain it. And it's not until someone comes and gets him and brings him into a new community and begins to teach him about his identity that he becomes to able to now live out this new identity as the chosen one, as one who's going to lay down his life for others. Uh, sounds familiar, but I won't go into that this right now. But ident- his identity precedes behavior. Now listen, it's the same for us. Until we know who we are in Christ, we'll never live the way Christ has called us to live. We never will. So who are we? Well, in a general sense, if you come to our membership class, you learn this. The church of God is this. God's people saved by God's power for God's purposes. Now, we just celebrated. We got the building over there and all that's great. But the church is not a building. We use that nomenclature. It's wrong. Hey, let's go to church. No, no, no. We are the church. The church is the people of God saved by the power of God for the purpose of God. And when you're born again, you receive this new identity, not by anything you've ever done, but because of the work of Christ, you receive this new identity. And Peter here is going to give us a lesson on our identity. He's going to show us at least four aspects of this new identity that we've been given in Christ. And that's where we're going to go this morning. So this is who you are. Look at verse nine. But you are a chosen race. You are first a chosen race race. Now that word chosen is eclectos. It's eclectos in the Greek. It's where we get the word elect from. He's already said that Peter's already written to who? The elect exiles. What does it mean to be elect? It means you've been saved by the power of God. Verse nine will show us you've been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. Now listen, here's where we don't understand what, what it means to be chosen or what it means to be elect. 
right? We hear called out of darkness. Well, is that the same way that when I'm, when it's dinner time and we reach our, we stick our head out the, out the door and we, we're calling our kids home for dinner. Hey guys, it's dinner time. Is that how God calls us out of darkness? Absolutely not. You know what my call does? All right, guys, it's dinner time. And I see him on the trampoline. Right? They're deaf all of a sudden. Right? Completely couldn't hear it. Springs were too loud, Dad. Didn't know what's going on. Didn't hear you call me. Right? See, when I call my kids home from dinner, it's not an effectual call. I can't make them come. Now, I can, punish, I can discipline them when they disobey, but I, I can't make them come. Now, listen, when God elects people, when God chooses people, listen to me right here. This is the way God called Lazarus out of the tomb. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus gets up out of the grave, comes out. Now, did Lazarus, cho- did Lazarus choose to get resurrected there? Was Lazarus laying there dead going, I'm just waiting for some, right? No, he's dead. What, is dead. what does a dead person do? Nothing. But when Jesus Christ calls the dead, they come forth. And I love it. Commentators say the reason Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, is because he would have just said, come forth, all of them would have got up out of the grave. So he said, just Lazarus, everybody else, sorry, but Lazarus, come forth. Now, this is what God does to us. We're dead spiritually, and he calls us, he chooses us, and he calls us to himself, and that's how he saves us. It means to be called out of darkness, that one day we were in darkness, and the next day we realize that all of a sudden now we want to know God. What happened there? God did something internally. God chose us. God called us. It means that, if, that God has chosen you to come out of the darkness that we were born into because of our sin, right? Now listen, this is not just, this, this is everywhere in the New Testament. I'm going to put some stuff on the screen and go in a few places really quick. John 15, 16, this is what Jesus says. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Clear. Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, the gospel, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And look, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. As had been appointed to eternal life believed. Who appointed, to the, who appointed them to eternal life? And thus they believed. God appointed them to eternal life. Ephesians chapter 1 Verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he looked, chose us in him, that's in Jesus, when? Before the foundations of the world. He predestined us to adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has chosen you from when? The beginning, the beginning for salvation. It couldn't be any clearer than that. God has chosen you. Listen to Revelation 13, verse 8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship Jesus. Everyone whose name has not been written, written when? From the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. The names of the chosen written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world. God chose us. He chose us in eternity. 
He chose us before the world began. He repeats it in Revelation 17, verse 8, and Revelation 20, verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. When were the names written? Before the foundation of the world. And so over and over and over again, the testimony of Scripture is this. You, if you are a believer, if you have been born again, you have been chosen before the foundation of the world in Christ by God. Why? Because we were great? Because God needed us? Because we were more moral than others? We were smarter than others? We lived in a better country than others? We had a better upbringing than others? Absolutely not. Because God sovereignly determined to set his love upon us for his own holy purposes, which we'll never fully understand. So Peter says, the first thing you need to know about the church is that all of them in the church have been chosen by God. The ESV study Bible says of this term, God's grace rather than human choice is the ultimate explanation for why some people come to faith and others do not. This should create a deep humility in our hearts, right? Why are we Christians? We're, we're not Christians because we're any better than anyone else. We're not Christians because somehow we figured it out morally, or we figured it out spiritually, or we studied our Bible. The sixth time I read my Bible through, God finally looked down and said, you've done it, son. You figured it out. Here's salvation. No, we're saved because of his grace to us, because his election, he chose us. Now this should create in us a deep sense of humility. When others disagree with us, we don't have to argue. We don't have to fight. We don't have to prove them wrong. We weren't right, and then God chose us. God chose us, and he's leading us towards being more right, more like Jesus. should create a deep humility in us. Now, I want our church. Why do we talk about this all the time? Just because it's in the Bible. But other than that, I want our church to be a humble people. I want myself to be a humble people. And studying the election of God, studying that we've been chosen, will make us more humble if we understand it. We were dead in our sins and God adopted and brought to new life a dead person for his own glory. Amen. Now, but Christians aren't just chosen, right? It says we're a chosen race. This is the same term that was used of Israel in the Old Testament and now is being used of the church, the born-again believers in Christ. You're a chosen race. Hear that. Peter says... We are now the church, us in this room. We're a new race of people. Where we once were separated by blood and ethnicity, literally our DNA, right, creates different colors of people. We've got our different ethnicities. What once separated us, it no longer separates us anymore. We are now, this is his kind of mentality, his flow of thought. You are now, what, though what was in your blood once separated you, now through the blood of Jesus, you are now united in Christ. Peter's saying that the church is a new race of people, a born again race of people that displays to the world a radical unity, listen, in the midst of, of great ethnic diversity. These people were very diverse, right? There's probably very few white people in this text this morning, okay? In, the, in this first century world, okay? 
It's very diverse ethnically, religiously, socioeconomically. There's a lot of diversity here. And Peter's saying, those who've been born again, you are a new race. And so this new race has nothing to do with the color of your skin. This new race has everything to do with whose blood you've been baptized in. Whose blood are you under? You know, we say around, we're not around here, people say in our society that blood is thicker than water. And what that means is blood relations trump friends, right? Blood is thicker than water. But what Peter is saying here is the spirit is thicker than blood. Do you hear that? The spirit of God or even the blood of Jesus Christ is thicker than the blood of your familial relations, your ethnicity, your race. That means, listen to this, if you understand who you are, that you're a chosen race, that means you will have a greater solidarity with Christians of other colors and other ethnicities than you will your non-Christians who are your same race. You will have a greater solidarity with them. You have a greater commonality that you are literally, whether you're white or black, you are brothers in Christ and your race is secondary to that. Your color of skin is now secondary to that. You're first in Christ. So if by chance talking about a racial issue in today, I have the opportunity to offend my brother in Christ who's the opposite color of me, or to offend possibly, because sometimes we have to make this choice, or possibly offend a person who's a non-Christian, who's in our country, who's the same color of my skin. I should choose to offend the non-Christian. I should choose to offend the person of my color because my brother in Christ is more important. Blood, the, the blood of Jesus Christ, the unification that he's done through his church is primary. We have more in common with our brothers and sisters of Christ cross-culturally than we do unbelievers in our city that are our own race. Then Peter goes on to say, I could talk all day about that one, but I won't. Then Peter goes on and says, you are also, look, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Now I know none of us are wearing robes this morning, Right? Uh, we don't consider ourselves priests. But here Peter says that Christians are a royal priesthood. Now what are priests? Priests are people who have access to God. They're also people who bring others into the presence of God. Peter's saying two very important things to us here as the church. First, we have access to God. We can know Him. This is the greatest truth of the gospel because what Jesus Christ has done for us, we can know God. We can speak to him. We can hear him. We can come into his presence. We can worship him. We can learn from him and walk in a new relationship with him while he's internally changing us because Jesus literally comes into us through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't get any closer than that. See, being born again is not fire insurance right? It's not about going to heaven when you die. 
Being born again is all about knowing God now and what begins now goes on into eternity. And yes, when Christ comes back or when we die, all of our impurity is removed. All of our sin is removed. And so we can know God perfectly without stain of sin and the world will be made new. So it will be wonderful in heaven and when heaven comes to the earth, that's gonna be great. But that's a culmination of what begins now knowing God, walking with him, becoming new, being made in his image. It starts now. Priests, that's what priests are all about, knowing God. He says, you don't have to go to school for that. You don't have to be ordained for that. That's not a special, you know, clerical, like I'm somehow a priest because I'm up here on stage and I'm leading the church. This is the priesthood of all believers, folks. Every Christian, everyone who's been born again has as much access as I do or as Tim Keller does or as anybody else in the Christian faith does. We have that same access to God. In fact, the same access that Jesus Christ has to the Father is given to us. Amazing. So how do we know God like this? We know him through reading his word. We know him by being involved in a community, a missional community. We know this by coming to the gathering. We're reminded of this. We're learning of God. We're walking of God. We're renewing our covenant with God week in, week out. We worship him through prayer, all of these things. But he's also saying this, listen, to priests, one, they have access. Great. But, but please hear this. Priests also have a calling. And their calling is to bring other people into the presence of God. Bring other people into contact with the God of the universe. Priests, hear me. In America, we need to hear this. Priests are not religious consumers. Priests don't just go to the church for the worship and to get a good word and to feel good. Priests go to, the, go to worship to work. They have a calling. They're wanting to bring other people into contact with the living God. And Peter is telling us this morning that, that priests are missionaries, right? And if we're priests, we're, we are a royal priesthood. We're also missionaries. We're mediators. We're agents of reconciliation who tell others who God is and what he has done for us. And if you know that you are a royal priesthood, you will, one, enjoy great access to God. You will have communion with God. You'll walk with God. You'll rejoice in God. You'll worship God. You'll feel the great love of God. But you will also be an active missionary. You will be enjoying God and bringing others. You've got to see this. You've got to taste and see that the Lord is good. You've got to know God. You've got to understand the gospel. You've got to meet him. You've got to come to my missional community. You've got to come into this gathering of people. You've got to meet my Christian friends. You're going to be working to bring others, other people into the presence of God. Can I ask you this? How often do you eat with unbelievers? Purposefully eat with unbelievers so you can learn their story so you can share the gospel with them, so you can invite them into your missional community. And I'm, listen, you'll never do that until you understand you're a royal priesthood, until you understand that you're a missionary. How often do you bless others, right? Because you've been blessed so much in Christ, I'm gonna bless you. Why did you bless me? Because Christ has blessed me so much, I wanted to share it with you. When was the last time you invited someone to the gathering? When was the last time you invited someone to your missional community? Or you just invited them over for coffee to hear their story, understand where they're at, their disconnect with God, why they pushed away from the church, why they pushed away from God. 
Listen, we, we want to think of Christian as just something we just, Christian is only used two to three times in the whole New Testament, the word Christian, right? But in Christ is used dozens of times. And in Christ shows me that I'm more than just, you know, somebody who's prayed a prayer one time. I'm actually a royal priesthood sent on mission for Jesus. Next, Peter says, I don't have time to go on. So next, Peter says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. When Peter says that the church of Jesus Christ is a holy nation, he is saying, listen, we have a new political unity that is greater than any one nation. When the disciples declared Jesus is Lord, that was a political statement that could get you killed. That wasn't just a religious statement. We, we, we think of it, we've got separate you know, church and state, so we think Jesus is Lord is just a religious statement. No, no, no. To say Jesus is Lord in that day and day, when the people were forced to say, who? Caesar is Lord. At, listen to this. At age 86, Polycarp, the second century bishop of Smyrna and disciple of the apostle John was brought to the Roman authorities in order to confess that Caesar is Lord. Though doing so would have saved his life, Polycarp refused and was murdered for it. Polycarp refused to bow his knee to nationalism. For those who have been born again, Jesus is our king and we are living for his kingdom and his kingdom is not the United States of America. And I love our country. I'm not saying it against our country. We have a transnational kingdom. We have a universal kingdom. Jesus is our king. And his kingdom is a new political reality that, listen, outweighs every other political party, every other nation, every other political agenda. People sometimes say, well, we're getting too political. The gospel of Jesus is political. When you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying no other leader is. I bow my knee to Jesus, not Put your fill in the blank. Whatever the president is, whatever our government elected officials are. Now, later in this, we're going to learn, Peter's going to tell us that we are to honor the emperor. We're to honor the emperor. We're not to bow our knee to the emperor and confess that Caesar is Lord. There's a difference. We're going to get to that in later chapters. So that means, listen, we have a greater unity in the church there's a diversity here. There could be all, I'm sure there's all kind of political opinions in this room. All, people that lean towards the right, people that lean towards the left, people in the middle, people off the spectrum, right? And he's saying, your political party does not unite you. You do not look to red or to blue to find where the Christians are. The blood of Christ unites you. You have a deeper unity than, that, than even the red, white, and blue. You have a deeper unity than even the red, white, and blue. And then lastly, Peter says the church, look, chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now listen, I'm going to tell you this. If you forget about everything else I've said and you only understand this and you believe it, this will change your life. One, 
you will never feel sorry for yourself again. You will never feel unwanted. You will never feel, um, you know, uncared for. Look what he says here. You are a people for God's own possession. Peter is saying, God chose us because he wanted us. We are his treasured possession. Ever since my son was a little kid, he took one of my old cigar boxes and he made it a little treasure box. And he put things in the treasure box. It's just weird stuff, right? You look in there like a pop can lid. Okay. All right. Now, why did he choose the little gravel pieces and then the geodes he's found on vacation and the shells he's got on vacation and all these little things? Why did he put them into his treasure box? It wasn't because they were inherently valuable, right? They're definitely not inherently valuable. He put those things in his treasure box because he loved them for whatever reason. He treasured them and so he put them in his treasure box, right? It's so unique and precious what he puts in there, but everything in there is his own possession that he chose and he loved. It's something that he treasures and that he delights in. Now listen, this is unbelievable. If you are a believer in Christ, you are in God's treasure box. Like he chose you and put you in there and like, and he chooses dead things and puts them in his treasure box. And then when they get in there, they come alive. That's pretty cool, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. He puts you in your treasure box and you come alive to God. We were chosen because he loved us. Oh man, what, what, what Peter is saying here is if you can get a grip on your identity in Christ, if you can learn who you are, if you can learn to see that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, but above all, God's special possession, look, there will be simultaneously a power and a boldness to you and also a deep humility. You can't hold these together anywhere else. People who do well and they're really accomplished and they've, done, and they've made a lot of money and they've built businesses, and they've, they have great power and great boldness and they walk with a swagger and no humility. And people who have failed over and over, oftentimes they have a lot of humble but no boldness. They don't share their faith. They don't step across the room and go introduce themselves because they feel meek as a church mouse. But what Peter is saying here is you are chosen, that should create a deep humility, but you were God's treasured possession, that should create a crazy boldness for him. That God chose me before the foundations of the world, and he chose me for what purpose? About to go on here. He chose us, so chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Proclaim. Now in one sense, this is the easiest job description. Right? Our calling is so simple. Be absolutely, totally, and radically aware of that which is excellent and then share it with others. You hear me? Be totally, radically aware of that which is excellent and then share it with others. Let me illustrate it like this. You're blind. You've been born blind since childbirth, right? There's a new procedure. You hear this new procedure and there's this new doctor and this doctor has chosen you. 
to try this procedure out for free, right? You've never seen before. This doctor says, I want to try it on this person here. This is a priceless opportunity. One of the top optometrists in the world, brand new technology, brand new procedure. You get chosen for free. You were led by the hand into the doctor's office blindly, but then he does the procedure and it works and you walk out with sight. Can you imagine? Everything worked perfectly. You literally are walking out like a new person. You're seeing things you've never seen before. Everything looks different, right? You're in the light now. What is this? That's excellent, right? You would say, this was excellent. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to get on Facebook right away, right? You're going to call your family and call your friends right away. You're going to tell your neighbors right away. You're going to tell anybody else that has the same problem. You've got to go to this guy. He's got the answer. I once was blind, but now I see. This is excellent. You're going to declare the excellencies of that optometrist, right? That surgeon, right? See, we are all, that's what verse nine is all about. God has called you like that blind person out of darkness into his marvelous light. We can now see And how marvelous is that, right? It's wonderful news. And because he made us in his image, we're all natural evangelists, right? We're all natural evangelists. When we find something excellent, we share it with others. You find a great restaurant in town. You don't just, you want that thing to stay in business, right? So you keep telling your friends about it and you want more people to go there. We're natural evangelists. If you're not sharing Christ, hear me. If you're not sharing Christ, you might have lost the sense and the awareness of his surpassing excellencies. You've forgotten the goodness of the gospel. You've forgotten that you once were blind and now you see. You once were dead and now you are alive. Because if you're aware of his excellencies, you declare his excellencies. This is why we're here. This is why we've been chosen. We've been chosen And this is the word he uses, listen, proclaim his excellencies. But when we hear that, we think, well, that ain't me. I'm not a preacher. No proclaiming out of this guy. The funny thing is the word proclaim here, it's ex angelo in the Greek. This is the only place in the New Testament that it's used. And listen, there are plenty of places in the New Testament where people preach, but that's not the word he's using here. The word proclaim has a twofold meaning that's important for us. It's about sharing in word and in deed, okay? To proclaim something is not to preach it. I'm not really proclaiming this morning, okay? Proclaiming, this is what it's like, right? Kindergarten, proclaiming is show and tell. That's what proclaiming is. We're bringing something into the presence of other people and we're showing them and we're telling them about it right? And that's what we do as missionaries. We proclaim, we show and tell. And Peter is telling us, if you know who you are, if you know who God has made you to be and what God has done to make you into that person, if you know the riches he has given you, if you understand that you are his possession, the knowledge of that and the the faith you have in that, that identity will change you into God's show and tell people. God's display people. 
And you'll now be literally a walking, living demonstration of his grace. Man, this is so freeing. I hope you hear this. God is not saying, go do mission. Get on mission. What's wrong with you? Why are you so selfish? Why are you so, you know, just into your stuff? Why don't you go save people? Go share the gospel. Go over to Kenya. Go do something else. Get on mission. God's not doing that. He's not shaking his fist or grabbing us by the shoulder and shaking us. He's saying this, don't you know who you are? Don't you know what I've done to save you? Don't you know that I'm the one who brought you out of the darkness into the marvelous light? Don't you want others in in the light? And when we come to understand who we are, our obedience flows out of that new identity. He's not laying on a guilt trip. Again, he's given us indicatives that lead to imperatives down the road. He's not saying these are the rules to be followed. He's saying, have, listen, have you seen the excellencies? Are you in the light? Do you know who God is and what he's done for you in Christ? We will never glorify God. We will never enjoy God. We will never declare God to others if you don't see his surpassing excellencies to everything else on earth. And you've got to be in the light to see those things. This is why Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. It's part of the new identity we have in Christ. Now, do you see how wonderful this is? Peter says the church of Jesus Christ is the new race, the new religion, the new nation, the new people. And he's saying none of these things should divide us anymore. The church has been united into one giant family. Before, he says, going on in this verse, we're not a people, but now we are God's people. Before, we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Hear me, hear me. It's in the light that you receive mercy. People ask me, why do we confess our sins every Sunday? That's kind of a downer. Well, if you think confessing your sin is bad, then I get understand that's a downer. It's not a downer. We're pulling something into the light because only in the light can we be forgiven. Only in the light is there mercy. Only in the light is where Jesus redeems and heals. Off in the darkness, we're struggling with ourselves. We try to cover up. We try to pretend. We try to perform. We try to do all these false ways of dealing with our sin and our guilt and our shame. No, no, no. We bring it into the light because we need Jesus to purify us in the light. This is the greatest news in the world. It's interesting. You know, this, this is the greatest news for us. It's literally called good news. That's what gospel means, good news. But do you realize it comes on the heels of the worst news in the world? As I close this morning. Jesus, Jesus was, hear me, he was the chosen one. Jesus was the royal priest. Jesus was the holy one. Jesus was the one who brought God's kingdom to this earth. And of course, he was absolutely one with the Father. And yet, listen, when Jesus cried out for mercy in the garden, he got none. 
God poured his wrath out on Jesus on the cross so that we could be his people who receive his mercy. Jesus received wrath so that we could receive mercy. He exchanged places with us. The mercy of God is what makes us his missionaries, is what makes us his priesthood, what makes us his people. When we receive it, we, we experience it, we taste it, we go tell others about it. Paul says it like this. Paul says it over and over. He says, we have died with Christ. We've been buried with Christ. We have been resurrected with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I have a new identity through Christ. And we also know that God right now is at work fixing all things. He's making all things new. And he's rescued us and he's putting us back together into this new political reality called the kingdom. And we are here in this church trying to figure out and live out these new identities that God has given us as his chosen race, his royal priesthood, and his holy nation. You know what this is? We're just trying to figure things out here. That's what we're trying. This is a preview of what's going to happen in heaven. So we're trying, this is what we're doing. We're living out these new identities before God brings his kingdom in, in, in summation, he, before he fixes all things. This is a preview to what's going to happen in the kingdom. And so we're trying through the power of Christ in us to live out this new reality as God's people, transracial, transnational, Right? this people that there's a great diversity among us, but we're united through the blood of Christ. The church is where we're living that out. We don't live it out on Facebook. We don't live it out in our heads. We live it out in flesh and blood relationships right here. Listen, if you're not a member of this church, you need to get in on this. (laughs) After tragedies, people always ask me, What is wrong with the world? I don't know how many Facebook statuses I saw this week. What is wrong with the world? How could anyone do this? What is wrong with people? Listen, Christians never have to ask that. Our whole story is built on the reality that the perfect man entered our story and we killed him on a cross. People do horrible things because deep down we have something in us called sin. We know what's wrong with the world. We know what's wrong with us. It's called sin. It's brokenness. It's rebellion from God, our creator. And Christians also know though, in the midst of this, we have hope because we know what God has already done to fix it. That death has an expiration date. That Jesus Christ defeated death when he was resurrected from the grave. And one day we will all beat death through Christ. Yet Jesus, the Father sent his son, Jesus, listen, to experience tragedy. That Jesus was the perfect man, sinless, and yet he was brutally murdered and tortured by those in authority over him. And Everybody looking at it, it looked like an absolute senseless evil. But later in this chapter, Peter says this, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
By his wounds, we have been healed. Do you see what God has done to love you? Do you see what God has done? He's not waiting for you to get cleaned up. He's loved you before you could clean yourself up. He sent a son to live the life you couldn't live and die the death you deserve to die. And he's given you it all in Christ. And he's chosen you to believe it. And you're here this morning, not just because your alarm went off. You're here this morning because God has brought you here sovereignly through a million different circumstances. You heard the gospel from somebody. You were raised in this family. We planted this church. You found out about us. You got here. And God wants you to know the excellencies of what he's done to save you, to bring you in, to change your new identity, and now to send you back out on mission to tell others what he's like. And this morning, when we come here, man, when we come down for this covenant meal, this is a covenant renewal ceremony, right? It's not just, Christianity is not just about the wedding day, right? But it's ongoing, the day you came to Christ, that's the wedding day is what I'm talking about in this sense. But it's an ongoing renewal of the covenant that every Sunday we're reminded Jesus is right here and he still died for you. He still bled for you. No matter what you've done this week to disown him, no matter how you've lived selfishly and ignored the cries of the poor and ignored your neighbor and ignored him, he's still here. And he died for you and he loves you. And we come with dirty hands and we get the spotless body of Christ and the blood of Jesus put into him. And we're reminded once again, as we eat it, he's this close to us. We have access. He loves me. He's forgiven me. Best news in the world. Father, I pray that you would save those that you've called in this room today. Those that are not Christians, that they would hear the gospel, that they would, that you would work in their heart. You would allow them to believe the gospel. They'd put their faith in you. They would taste and see that you are good and that you would remove burdens that you would heal hurts, that you would allow us as your people to understand who we are in you and that our behavior would flow out of that and not in some man-made false identity that we try to create and display to the world. Some put-together person who's got all the answers. That's not us. We are who we are because of your grace, because of the work of Jesus. We're simultaneously sinners and righteous because of the work that Christ has done in us. And we come before your table to be reminded of that and to eat of your grace, just to take you into ourselves, to be reminded that you are this close to us and you are working us, you're changing us from the inside out. We worship the God who came as a man like us and bled and died for us and was resurrected to give us the greatest hope in the world that death cannot defeat us. We thank you for this hope that we find in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.